The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. If you would, I'd like you to open your Bibles now to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In the nearly 15 years that I've been pastor of the church, I don't know how many times on Easter that I've asked you to turn to the first chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 rather, because this is the definitive chapter that answers many questions about the importance of Christ's resurrection to the Christian faith. Paul very clearly says in the first part, of the chapter, that we have no hope unless Christ arose. The resurrection is God the Father's validation upon the work of Christ in his redemption of man. And if he had not been raised, there, there's no hope for our salvation. We are still in our sins, and we will perish in the guilt and despair of condemnation. But because Christ is raised, we have confidence that in the last day, that not only will our souls enjoy the glories of heaven, but also our bodies will join our spirits in heaven. There is a spiritual body in which we will live. Now the question that I'd like for us to consider today is what that body is going to be like. Our text begins in the 35th chapter of 1 Corinthians 15, and as good Christians I know that you've read the preceding verses, and they're the ones that are most often referred to in Easter sermons. But I'd like for us to look at this section that's near the end of the chapter that tells us what kind of body that we will have when Christ returns to raise us from the dead. Verse number 35 says, But some man will say, How are the dead raised up, and with what body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened, that is made alive, and except it die. And that, thou which, uh, that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain, it may chance of wheat or of some other grain. But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, and another flesh of beasts, and another of fishes, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies, and bodies terrestrial but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth earthy, the second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit 
incorruption. The older that I get, the more concerned I am about what takes place with my body. I get up in the morning with a backache, with a headache, my bones ache, I'm dizzy. Those of you that are a little bit older like I am, you know that perfectly describes the way that we get up every morning. So I go into the bathroom and the first thing that I do is look in the mirror. I don't know why, it's not that I expect someone else to be there, but it's the same old me, it's the, that's an impressive sight to be sure, but not quite, as, uh, not quite as impressive until I take those 40 or 50 products that are on the shelf, that are on the counter, in the medicine cabinet, and start to apply those to help to improve my looks. Of course, I'm, I'm fortunate that I don't need as many of those as many of you do, but there's still some minor improvements that have to be made when I get up in the morning before I can go out. The cosmetic industry makes billions of dollars off of people that aren't satisfied to go au naturel. And so we package this decaying body in a pleasing wrapper. Now today I'd like to talk to you about how your body is going to be improved when Christ returns. If you believe in Christ and his resurrection, then one day there will be a, a huge melioration of your body and you'll receive a new beautiful body that's made like the body of Jesus Christ. And that might sound a little bit strange to you because you will still be recognized as you. Now, in this chapter, Paul answered some questions about what the resurrected body will be like. And there was much confusion on the subject in the Corinthian church. They believed that there would be a resurrection, but they couldn't imagine that the body that went into the grave would be at all desirable if it should come out of the grave. Now, I'd like to take you to Acts chapter 17, if you turn there. And I want to show you what the Greeks and Romans thought about resurrection. Uh, if you turn there, they did believe in an afterlife, but not as Christians do. And in this chapter, we have Paul at Athens. That's the haven of Greek philosophy. And he engaged a, a group of deep thinkers at a place that's called Mars Hill. Athens lies about 65 miles to the west of Corinth. And there Paul found the same kinds of thoughts that he would find in Corinth. Now, we want to break into the end of his conversation with these philosophers. And in verse number 28, he speaks of God and he says, For in him, that is in God, we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead... Is, my, is, is made like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. And that was the typical reaction because they didn't believe that the physical body would be raised. Now they looked at the body as undesirable. It's the undesirable prison of the soul. And they only waited for the body to die in order to release the soul because the body actually limits the power of the soul. And so this body, they thought, is a house that restricts 
the liberated spirit. And so they believed that the soul would live on, but not the body. And that's because they didn't understand the kind of body that believers will have in the resurrection. And so in verse number 35 of our text in 1 Corinthians, Paul will talk about that body and how it will be different from the body in which we live. Not only were the Greeks and Romans confused about the resurrection, but so were the Jews. In their opinion, the same body, this same body that's still flesh and blood, would come out of the grave. And they didn't understand because they didn't understand what Job had written about this. Job said in the Old Testament, And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. And so they read that and they thought, well, this flesh, this flesh that we have on us now, that's the flesh and that's the body that will come out of the grave. And then others of you, you may be familiar with the Sadducees, another group of Jews who didn't believe in the resurrection at all. They didn't believe that the body lives on. They didn't believe that the soul lives on. But when you die, that's the end of it. But that has never gained any widespread acceptance anywhere in the world. There are some who believe it, but not very many. There is going to be a resurrection. And that word resurrection itself implies that the body will be raised. And the question is, what is that body like that comes out of the grave? Paul posed two important questions about the resurrected body. He's through arguing that there will be a resurrection. He did that in the first part of the chapter. And he proved that the resurrection is an essential component of the gospel and thus of the Christian faith. And so he wrote in verses 17 and 19, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, you are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Jesus or in Christ are perished, if in this life only we have hope in Christ. We are of all men most miserable. So Paul tied the resurrection to the gospel, and in the first four verses of the chapter he said, this is our only hope. If there is no resurrection, there is no faith, and there is no hope. We're miserable if this life is all there is. And his argument is, what's the purpose of being a Christian? Well, what's the purpose of going through all the things that we go through, all the hardships that he experienced and early Christians did, to be outcast of the world? What's the purpose in doing that if there is no life after this life? Well, the favorite philosophy of those who believe that there is nothing that comes after is simply this, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. So now Paul's past that part. He's argued effectively for the reality of the resurrection but he's still fraught with other objections to it. So the people say to him, Okay, Paul, there is going to be a resurrection. Now you've convinced us there will be. We are going to be raised. But what is that resurrection body going to be like? Now, you remember these Corinthians? They are Greeks. They can't, they can't imagine that the corrupted, dead, decaying body that goes into the grave could be the thing that comes out. And so Paul fixed that objection by explaining that the body that goes into the grave is not the same type of body that comes out of the grave at the last day. Now we want to look at his explanation. First of all, he argues for the continuity of the resurrected body. How is it possible that the body can come out of the tomb when that body immediately begins a process of decay as soon as the spirit leaves? Now, if the body's buried today, if it was buried yesterday, maybe if it's only been buried for a couple of days, 
then we could see if that body comes out of the grave. Maybe it's not in too bad a shape. But people have died since the beginning of time, all the way back to the time of Adam. That's centuries ago. And it still may be centuries until Christ comes again. So how can that body that goes in the grave come out when there's nothing left of the body? That's a perplexing problem. Some years ago, I, I told the story of Roger Williams and the efforts to move his grave. Many people believe that Roger Williams was the one who founded the first Baptist church in America. I doubt that that's true, but that's, it's, today's my, not my day to give you a Baptist history lesson. But Roger Williams was also the founder of the colony of Rhode Island in the 17th century. And there was a decision made to, to dig up his body and to move his grave to another location so that he could be honored as the founder of the state of Rhode Island. But the problem was there was an apple tree that had grown up close to the grave of Roger Williams, and the roots of that apple tree had penetrated the coffin. And so that apple tree, or Roger Williams' body, had become fertilizer for the apple tree. And so everybody that came along and took a bite of an apple off that tree got a little bit of a taste of Roger Williams. Well, you see the problem here? There, there are some people who say, well, we've got a good case against the resurrection because we can think of hundreds of scenarios like this. Uh, what about those who died at sea and the fish ate their bodies? What happens to somebody who's in war and they die under the explosion of ordnance and their bodies are blown to bits? What about people in Hiroshima whose bodies were vaporized by a nuclear explosion. My wife insists that when she dies, that she must be put into an airtight, indestructible vault so that worms can't get on her. Now, now she knows we're not going to consider cremation, but she's very concerned about worms crawling on her body. And that raises the question, too, of course, what about cremation? Well, Paul never would have considered that. Uh, to be a Christian barrow, but it's still a problem because there were martyrs that were burned at the stake. So what happens to their bodies? So these kinds of problems launch Paul into this explanation of what God's going to do with this body and how is he going to resurrect this body that might not even be there any longer. Well, he begins by saying that there's nothing impossible with God. God is the creator. And to put a body back together is no harder to God than to make a body in the first place. He made Adam out of dirt, didn't he? And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So God is the creator, he can do this. But really, in this passage, God as the creator is not the thing that's in question. And so therefore, Paul goes into the seed argument of verses 36 to 38. He says, thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quicken, it's not made alive except it die, and that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or some other grain, but God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. Paul has a strange way of preaching. He starts out by saying, thou fool. And he wasn't really being ugly, but, but what he's saying to them is, you just lack understanding. You, you, don't, you don't know what's going on here. When a seed goes into the ground, it's not the seed that comes up. The seed is not the full plant. And when that seed springs up, it will be the same type of plant from what that seed was. If a seed is a wheat seed, 
a grain of wheat, then a wheat stalk grows up. You plant a seed of corn, corn grows up. You plant petunias, petunias grow up. So that tiny seed that goes into the ground is not the same thing that comes out of the ground, but there's a radical transformation that takes place uh, of that seed, but the seed, the plant that comes from that seed bears all the characteristics of the plant that it was when it went into the ground. Now we could liken that to the molecule of a human, uh, in a molecule of a human, all the DNA is there in that minute, minute cell that gives all the genetic code that makes you a human. But that molecule, that one molecule by itself, is not a human. That molecule is like a seed. And if God wants to, He can take that seed and make from it a functioning body. And maybe you didn't know this, but every few years there is a new you that the cells in your body die and those cells are replaced. Well, let's suppose that 10 years ago, you moved away, you went to the East Coast, and you came back to California. There's a pretty good chance that when you come back in 10 years, you look like you did when you left. Maybe a little bit older, but you look like you did when you left. You don't transform into George Clooney or Jennifer Lawrence because you moved to the East Coast and come back after 10 years. Jason moved to South Carolina a few years ago. He came back, same bald head. We call, that, we call that a shining example of this principle. <laughs> now, we hope for a whole lot better, but we'll take what we get. Uh, but those cells contain all the information that is you. And it's not hard for, for God to take those seeds and to make them grow. Now, in verse number 39, he says that God can distinguish different types of flesh. So it doesn't make a difference whether uh, an animal got mixed with you Something else died there with you. God, God can handle all of that. He sorts it all out. The point that he drives to is that God handles this all. God can raise a new body at the resurrection and it will be you. But at the same time, it's not a physical body like this decaying flesh. It's a new type of body. A type of body, new type of body that's made to live in a different world. Now, the second thing that he shows us is that we will retain our identity. Now, the body is different. It is a glorified body, but it's not so different that it's unrecognizable. When Jesus arose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples, and they were afraid of him at first because they thought they saw a ghost. They said, well, whose ghost did they think they saw? Was it Abraham? Was it Moses? Was it old dead Uncle Fred? No. The ghost they thought they saw was Jesus because they recognized him. Now, he did. He was able to hide his identity. He did that to two disciples that were on the road to Emmaus. But then when he decided it was time, he opened their eyes to let them see who he was. And they recognized him. And you remember Mary, when she came to the tomb, at first she thought that Jesus was the gardener. But then she got a, turned around and got a glimpse of him and she heard his voice and she knew that it was Jesus. Now, that's a common question about heaven. Are we going to know each other when we get to heaven? Will we recognize each other? Will I know my wife and my children? Will I know my friends? Spurgeon speculated that not only will you know, not only will you know them, but that you will travel in the same circles in heaven that you do here. There are millions of people that are in heaven, 
And it's more likely that you're going to spend time with the people, even though you'll know everybody, you're going to spend time with the people that you knew here. And that's a great comfort because there are a lot of people, husbands and wives, that worry about things like this. When the Bible says there's not going to be any marriage in heaven, it means that we're not going to have the intimate relations of the kinds that we have here on earth. But people worry about that. Husband and wife, what's our relationship going to be when we get to heaven? And, and they think it's going to be less than what we have here. But no, our, the relationship that we have, husband and wife, and to our children, and all the people that we know that are saved, are so, is so much better that, than it is here, that we can't even imagine what it's going to be like. And most likely, you're going to spend your time with your husband and your wife from here, your children, your loved ones, and your acquaintances here that were saved. So this earthly institution of marriage that we have is nothing compared to the kind of love that we're going to have when we get to heaven because that will be a perfect love, made perfect in Jesus Christ. Now in the Old Testament, there's a frequent phrase that's used for people when they died. It says, they were gathered to their people. For example, in Genesis 35:29, and Isaac gave up the ghost and died, and he was gathered unto his people. Jacob died and was gathered unto his people. Aaron died and was gathered unto his people. And in this great example, when David's baby died, do you remember what he said? He can't come back to me. But he said, I'll go to be with him. And so he knew that he would see that baby again, and he knew that he would recognize his baby. And then you remember the example of, of the rich man who died and went into hell, and God allowed him to see into heaven, and who did he see? He recognized Abraham and Lazarus. He knew the same people up there as we know down here. So this body that goes into the grave is going to be of a different type, but it will be recognizable. So when I get to heaven, I want to see my dad. And, and I want to see my aunts and my uncles and my grandmother, my grandfather that were saved, the other Christians that I know. I want to see my good friend Larry Jefferson when I get to heaven. I'll see him and I'll know him. We'll know who's who. And all those funerals that I've preached to the great saints of God right here in this church, people that I loved, I'm going to see them again and we will know each other and we'll have fellowship again. Likewise, I'll see Paul, I'll know him. I'll see Elijah, I'll know him. I know Peter and John. And you know those other apostles in the Bible that there isn't very much at all said about them? Just their names are given, no explanations of who they were, what they did, where they went. I'm going to know all of them. As I go into heaven, I'll t be taken up and I'll pass those, those, those foundations of the new Jerusalem and in those foundations are inscribed the names of the apostles of the Lamb and when we get to heaven, we'll know each and every one of them. We'll talk with them. We'll know all of the saints from the Old Testament. Folks, this is one of the reasons that Christians don't fear death. To us, death is not horrible. We'll see Christ. He's the light of that city. And the saints of God and the ancients that have gone before us will be lit up in that glory of Jesus Christ. And so we'll see loved ones, we'll see friends that shine as a reflection of the Savior. Matthew 13.43, Jesus said, Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. None of that's too hard for God. Just as easily as He makes a seed grow, God can raise a body from a seed that's planted in the ground, and it will come out the person who went in, but with a new glorified body. Now you just saw it as we read it in Romans 6 just a moment ago. I had you read it out loud. 
where it says, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Now let me talk to you secondly about the construction of the resurrected body. If we're planted together in the likeness of His death, and we shall be in the likeness of His resurrection, then what shall we be? As Christ arose, we shall also arise. But there's more to it than this. We're going to come out of that grave with a body that's just like the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 says, For our conversation, that means our, our life is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby is even able to do all things to himself. John wrote in 1 John 3, verse 2, Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Well, what are the characteristics of this body? Well, we're going to step through these verses in just a moment, but let, let's skip down to verse number 44 and read it first. It says, It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body, there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Now, the body that goes into the grave is the natural body. That's this. That's this stuff. The body that goes into the grave is the natural body, but it comes out a spiritual body. Let's don't be confused about that because it does not say that it comes out a spirit. It comes out at the resurrection as a spiritual body. There is a natural body, soma sukakos, and there is a spiritual body, soma pneumaticos. It's still a body. It's still a recognizable body. But it's a different kind of body. Well, how is it different? Look at verses 42 and 43. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Now, the body that goes into the grave bears all the marks of the curse that happened at the very beginning when Adam ate of that forbidden fruit. All people die. Many people die sick. Some just live out their days, old age. Some are killed in accidents, some by homicide. Fortunately, some, and again, by suicide. But regardless of the way that you die, you never die healthy. And that's because you're cursed with death. This body must die because of the fall, and that curse affects all people. That curse, the Bible says, is corruption. But you'll talk to many people who say, well, I'm not too bad. I'm not really a bad person, and I'm not a sinner. But then we have to ask, which of them doesn't die? That proves that all are corrupt. And so the body that goes into the tomb is corrupt, and that body, the Word of God said, will never inherit eternal life. It can't be raised the same body because heaven admits no corruption. The body has to be different. So there isn't a Christian that comes out of the grave with a curse. And because of that, this new body that comes out of that tomb operates at a different efficiency. There's no sin in it. There's nothing that, in it that affects or uh, 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 places any limitations on it. And this answers... This answers the Greek objection that the resurrected body is not desirable because it imprisons the soul. Now let's notice some characteristics of it. First of all, it's made to survive. It's raised never to die. In verse 53, Paul said, This mortal puts on immortality. 
he does not die. The curse of death is gone forever. And sin and the grave are defeated. That's verses 54 to 56 where it says death is swallowed up in victory. If you could go to heaven right now in this body, you wouldn't survive. You wouldn't make it for two reasons. As soon as you got there, they'd kick you out. Because they don't want sickness. And they don't want death. They don't want disease. None of that's permitted. Revelation 21 verse 27, nothing that defiles will enter into heaven. Secondly, your body was made for this world not the world to come. This body can't last. Not there, because it'll perish. It will, it always does. There's no way for it to survive. But the spiritual body is different. There isn't anything in it that wears out. It's not replenished every few years with new cells that replace the old. There's no need for that, because there is no part of this body that will die. We're going to be remade to last forever. So you're not going to need skin cream. And there's not going to be any makeup or hairspray or deodorant for your smelly body because it won't be like that. When you go into the bathroom every day in heaven, you'll look into the mirror, the bathroom in heaven, who can imagine? You go into the mirror, you look at that mirror, you look at the mirror and you see nothing but this beautiful body that's made glorious like the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, this is a body that's made for splendor. The seed that goes into the ground is sown in dishonor. Verse 43, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. What do you do with a dead body? Well, you don't keep it. You bury it. You get it out of your sight. The mortician will fix it up to look pretty good for about 72 hours. After that, you don't want it anymore. So you take it and you bury it. It's going to decay, it will rot, it will stink. You remember Martha said to Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus, I wouldn't advise you to open that tomb. He's been dead for four days and he stinks. Now as much as she loved her brother Lazarus, she didn't want to see that dead body again. Well, the body that arises from the grave is different. It's changed, it's glorified. And so what does that mean? Well, glorified means to be filled with perfect light, to dwell in perfect light. It means brilliance and splendor and luster and magnificence and dignity and majesty. God calls it a glorified body. And as John said, we don't know. As, as humans now, we don't understand all that it is or all that it will be, but we know that it's going to be like Christ who is the Lamb and who is the light of the glory of heaven. Third thing about this body is it's made for speed. It's sown in weakness. It is raised in power. The body that goes into the grave is helpless. It's lifeless. It can't get up. It can't do anything. And did you know that Paul used that condition to describe how helpless that we are spiritually? We can't do anything. We can't get up. We can't come to Christ. Spiritually dead means the only way that you could ever be saved is for the Holy Spirit to energize you and make you alive so that you can believe. And only, as God, only God can give life to a dead physical body, then only God can give life to a dead spiritual body. A dead body dead in trespasses and sin. Now, why anybody would argue that, what Paul means by dead, is a mystery to me. Because he used death to describe our spiritual condition for one purpose. To show that you and I, as human beings, we have no power in the world of God. We have no power in the spirit world of God. We are completely helpless. And so a dead body does nothing. There's no power in it. But the resurrected body is raised in power. 
It's raised to be a body that has no physical limitations. Some people are going to be alive when Jesus comes, and they need to be changed. And so they'll go into the presence of the Lord. They'll be changed. That's described in verses 51 and 52. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul said that the living, though, are not going to precede the dead. In other words, the dead are going to be resurrected first. And they're going up to be with Christ first. And the language that's used there is an instant rising, an instant change. We zip up faster than the speed of light. We go up. We often think about it's going to be faster than the speed of thought, and we equate that with the speed of light. Star Trek calls the speed of light warp speed. I don't know what this is. This is woohoo speed. I don't know, something like that. At the end of this world, God is going to create a new world, new heavens, and a new earth, and we can travel and explore the immensity of that new heavens and the new earth that's bigger than... We don't even know how big the universe is, endless, but this is even bigger than that, if that's possible. And we can be anywhere we want at faster than we can think that we want to be there. That's how powerful your body will be. So the body that the saints will have is that same body or will be a body that Christ is going to use to come back to help him to defeat his enemies on this earth. Did you know that? You're going to be a part of the Lord's army. In Revelation 19, 13, and 14, it says... And he, that's Christ, was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Job wrote, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. That's amazing. You know that? When Christ comes back again and comes with his people, he's going to shut a lot of mouths. He'll shut the mouths of a lot of people that deny him. None will stand against him and his army of angels and of just men made perfect that have indestructible bodies, imperishable bodies, powerful bodies. Paul said, with what body do they come? And that's it. A glorified, everlasting, powerful, healthy, vibrant body that lives forever with Jesus Christ. Now finally, I've got to bring us down from heaven. And this body that we're dealing with, for people that know the Lord Jesus Christ, because there is some sad news to tell you, there is a different body. Always good things in the Bible are in the proximity of bad things. Good things are there, but there are always bad things that come with warnings. So this means that I have to tell you also about the condemnation of the resurrected body. Notice the focus shifts. There's another resurrection. And bodies that come out at that resurrection are not the same bodies as Christians will have. Other bodies are going to be raised, but the spiritual bodies that though of those that come out of the graves are not going to be like ours. Now some bodies, most bodies that are raised, are not raised for glory. They're raised for condemnation. If you turn with me to the Old Testament book of Daniel chapter 12, Daniel wrote some stunning prophecies, some amazing things. 
2,500 years ago, Daniel wrote these things. He was very clear and blunt. And he also spoke of the resurrection in the 12th chapter. He spoke of the resurrection before Christ even came the first time. This is what he says, verse number 1. And at that time shall Michael, Michael's the great archangel, Michael shall stand up, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting contempt, and some to shame and everlasting, uh, some to everlasting life, I should say, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now let's look at the contrast here between verse number 2 and verse number 3. In verse number 3 he says, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. There in verse number 3, Daniel describes those that are Christians with their glorified body. He says they shine as the brightness of the firmament. That means as bright as the beauty of the expanse of the starry galaxies and all the other brilliant heavenly bodies like stars, he says, they shine in righteousness. But verse number 2 says that some are raised to shame and everlasting contempt. And I want you to pay very close attention to that language because the same length of time is given for both. Some will be raised to shine eternally, and he says the wicked will be raised for contempt eternally. Now the body that's given to the saved is raised for eternal glory, and the body that's given to the wicked is raised for everlasting destruction. Their bodies are also changed. Their body goes into the grave with no feeling, with no consciousness, just as ours goes into the grave in the same way. But when that body is raised, they're raised to be a different type of body, a body that can endure the torments of a fire that never burns out. Their bodies are given the ability to suffer and never to be burned up. Now, maybe you don't believe what Daniel said about it. Would you believe what Jesus says about that? Many people don't believe what I've just told you. And those same people don't believe Jesus. This is what he said. And there shall go away, these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. He said in John 5, 29, And shall come forth they that have done good under the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? Very sobering thought. What's eternity going to be like for those that are raised from the dead? Those that are raised from the dead, but they did not trust Christ. They are given a new spiritual body, a body that's made to last forever, and it will also never die. Not in the same sense. But look at what it goes through. There are many verses that describe it. The Bible strictly warns us to avoid it. Matthew 13, Jesus said, The Son of Man shall send forth His angels and shall gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and them that do iniquity and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. He goes on in verses 49 and 50, So it shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Charles Spurgeon, the great English pastor, wrote, Brethren, the wicked must rise again from the dead. The lip with which you have drunk the intoxicating drink till you have reeled again, 
That lip shall be used in drinking down the fiery wrath of God. Remember too, ungodly woman, the eyes that are full of lust will one day be full of horror. The ear with which you listen to lascivious conversation must listen to the solid moans, the hollow groans, the shrieks of tortured ghosts. Be not deceived. You sinned in your body. You will be damned in your body. When you die, your spirit must suffer alone. That will be the beginning of hell. But your body must rise again. Then this very flesh in which you have transgressed the laws of God, this very body must smart for it. It must be in the fire and burn and crack and writhe throughout eternity. Your body will be raised incorruptible, otherwise the fire would consume it. It will become like the asbestos stone which lies in the flame and yet is never consumed. If it were this flesh and blood, it would soon die under the pangs we must endure. But it will be a body all but omnipotent. As I spoke of the righteous having such great power, so shall you have. But it will be power to agonize, power to suffer, power to die, and yet to live uncrushed by the stern foot of death. That's too sad for me to end on. You don't want me to end on that note. You don't want to leave a church service today and go home and agonize about hell. So I'm not going to end there. Rather, Resurrection Sunday is a day to point you to Jesus Christ, who is the Savior. He's the one that will cause you to rise from the grave to everlasting life in a glorified body. The gospel of salvation is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Verse 4 and 5 in the beginning of this, of this chapter. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. In verses 19 to 22, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept, for since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. You can be made alive in Christ. You don't need to die to go into everlasting contempt. You can be raised to live with Jesus Christ forever. His death is different. His death was different than yours will be because when Jesus died, He suffered hell. He suffered hell, the punishment of our sins. He took the eternal penalty for us. And He died to save us from that penalty. He suffered the rejection of His own Father God in heaven because of our sins. And the benefits of what Christ did, what He did in His death, are only for those who die in Him. And did you know this, that if you believe right now, that you can have an immediate spiritual resurrection. That is a resurrection of your soul. Did you know the Bible teaches that you're dead in sins right now? If you don't know Jesus Christ, you're dead in sins right now. But it also says that you can be raised to spiritual life right now. This is what he says in John 5, 24. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, what? hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is, right now, is passed from death unto life. So Jesus said, this spiritual resurrection happens at the very moment that you believe you pass from death into life. 
And that, friends, is the guarantee that at the last day, your body will be raised to be with Jesus Christ. He said, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear His voice and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. The good news for you today is Christ the Lord is risen today. Believe that. And the resurrection is yours. So, we conclude... A new beautiful body will be yours. You'll live with Jesus forever. This resurrection is critical to the Christian faith. It must be true in order for us to live eternally. And that's the reason that we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. Jesus died, He was buried, and He arose from the dead. And He lives eternally. And so can you, if you believe in Him. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for this great day that we can stand here and look into the Word of God and see that you have risen from the grave, the proof that we have it here, the people who saw it. Hundreds were witnesses to this. No one can deny your resurrection. The tomb is empty. And Lord, by that empty tomb, you proved that you have power over death. And that power that you have over death is the power that you use to raise us up from our death both spiritually and physically. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today who has not trusted you as Savior, we don't want to see anybody go away with the danger of being in this other resurrection where the body is raised not to everlasting life, but to everlasting contempt. And your word teaches there's only two destinations for every person in this world. One is eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ to live forever with Him or eternity in a place that's called hell where suffering never ends. Lord, we thank You for the graciousness of Jesus Christ who says only this, trust me, believe me, put your faith in me and you can be saved from that awful punishment that you so richly deserve. We thank You, Lord, for Jesus Christ who is risen today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. We believe that the plea for the gospel, the call to be saved, to put your faith and trust, repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ, that call of the gospel goes out in the sermon that we preach. And so we put out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our pleadings have been made. And now we ask you to consider what's been said. We don't prolong this and try to get people to do, make decisions uh, here, now. These are things that need to be thought about. And if you have been thinking about them, as I've been preaching the message, then we're help, happy to help anyone who wants to know more about what we've just told you. There is a destiny for every single person in this room, and it's only one of two places. The Bible gives no options, other options, no in-betweens. And it tells you how to get there. And what's going to happen if you don't believe? It's all right there. We tried to preach that to you today. Today we have men in the back who are happy to help you. We have Pauline here at the front. We have other ladies in the church. We have other men in the church, people in the halls, everywhere in this church. A person who knows Jesus Christ as his Savior will sit down with you and talk to you about how you can be saved. I invite you to do that. Happy Easter to everybody. Happy Resurrection Sunday.
Uh, I hope everybody in here is a believer in Jesus Christ. Nothing can make me happier than to know every single person knows Christ. And when He comes, you're going up to be with Him. And I praise God if you are. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.